BAM Radio Network. You know, we oftentimes make the mistake that thinking, if I can just fix all these negatives within the educational system, then we can start talking about the positive. But if we are able to raise up these leaders who are so positive within our communities, that's the way that these positive outliers can create an entire change and ripple effect within our communities. Hello, I'm Dan Dominich. Welcome to WAASA Radio. This past uh, February, ASA held its uh, annual National Conference on Education, where uh, about 3,000 superintendents, uh, cabinet-level officials, and other advocates of public education uh, joined us in Phoenix. Now, we've been getting very positive feedback from those who attended the uh, conference, and one of the reasons is because we had Sean Aker, author of The Happiness Advantage, as one of our keynote speakers. Uh, his research on happiness and human potential have received really attention from a number of major media outlets. Sean, at the conference, you talked about happiness, not only improving mood, but elevating performance. And you also talked about the link between happiness and human potential. With that in mind, what do you mean by the happiness advantage? What we've found basically is that the greatest competitive advantage you could possibly give to an individual is to get their brain first positive and engaged. Uh, the reason for that is we find that happiness actually has significant advantages when it uh, when the brain is positive. So we know that when a human brain is positive, we see that memory improves, quantitative reasoning improves, verbal reasoning uh, improves. We see creativity triples, productive energy rises by 31%. Once people get out into the workforce, not only would they be more positive there, but we find that their likelihood of promotion rises by 40% over a two-year period of time. The stress um, has a 23% less negative effect upon their system when their brain is positive and optimistic. Um, people live longer. It turns out every single business and educational outcome improves dramatically when the human brain is positive first. But the key is finding ways within our schools to not make it so that uh, we work harder, then we're more successful, and then maybe someday down the road when we get into, an, into a great college or once we get a job, then we'll be happier. It turns out if we can flip around the formula and if we can follow not only this research in positive psychology, but some of the across the nation that have led this movement as positive psychology has gained ground in the educational space. We're finding that if we can get um, people to get our, our students to practice, to become more positive and to create those habits with our teachers, with our superintendents, with our parents, that we can actually see what the human brain is possible, uh, is capable of doing. You just uh, mentioned, uh, uh, and you do talk about uh, five uh, habits that improve happiness and performance. Uh, do you want to share those with us? Yeah, it's fascinating. Just yesterday, I was listening to the Surgeon General of the United States actually go through the exact same habits that I was just doing at AASA, talking about how much they doing some of these positive habits has a huge impact upon people's health. And I mean, this is exciting that this research has gone all the way up to the Surgeon General of the United States. And what we've been finding, not only in the schools, but also the work I was initially doing at Harvard, we found that if we could get somebody to practice thinking of three new things that they're grateful for each morning, or journaling for two minutes about a positive experience they'd had over the past 24 hours, or if we got them to exercise for 15 minutes a day, fun, mindful cardio activity, or to just take their hands to quiet their mind and not do anything for two minutes a day to just basically meditate, to practice their attention, um, to do attention training for two minutes, doing nothing but watching their breath going in and out, or even just writing a two-minute positive email 
these five habits, we found that if we can get somebody to do just one of them for two minutes a day, it turns out accuracy rates improve by 10%, energy levels rise significantly, happiness levels improve, our social uh, connection improves, our health outcomes improve, we live longer, we're more uh, productive at our work and our studies. And it turns out if we can just get one of these habits, I mean, if you think about it, we, get all, we encourage our students from a very young age to make sure that they brush their teeth and they wash their hands. If we can get one more habit in, and that habit is one of those five I just mentioned, we can not only raise their levels of happiness and buffer them against some of the depression we're seeing happen to some of our students, or to buffer them against some of the, the effects of bullying or the effects of feeling attention in our society, the causes like eating disorders or negativity or, or people feeling isolated we can actually tip the entire formula the other direction and get individuals to not only eliminate the negative, but actually pursue the positive within our lives. Well, those are great. And uh, I can tell you that uh, we've all been uh, practicing at least uh, a couple of them, if not all five every day since we, we heard you in, uh, in Phoenix. How did your research in this area begin, Sean? I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to go to Harvard University, where I spent 12 years, first as an undergraduate, and then teaching and researching. And when I went there, it felt like such a privilege. It was something I never expected. It's something my family couldn't afford. I only got to go there on a Navy ROTC scholarship. So I felt so grateful to be there every day. I felt like it was such a privilege. I want to take, take every moment to really enjoy and to really maximize my time there. But as I looked around at some of the other students, and as I was later named as an officer of Harvard to help counsel the freshmen during their first difficult year of being there, what I realized was, is that no matter how happy they were getting into that school, it turns out a few weeks after being there, their brains weren't focused on the privilege of that education, nor fully focused on their philosophy or physics. Their brains become scattered, thinking about all the competition, the workload, the stresses, the hassles, complaints. And 80% of those students report going through depression, depression so bad that they say it gets in the way of their work. Now that I've traveled to 50 countries, I now know that that research had nothing to do with privileged Ivy League students in America. This was about every single human brain in the world as we contemplate what's happened to us in the past, our present work, and what we think is going to happen to us in the future. And as I've worked with students um, everywhere from elementary school up to high school and college, what we've been finding is more and more pressure that's placed upon them on, from the society, but more and more pressure that they're placing upon themselves as well. And as a result of that, they're finding that they keep thinking that, well, maybe if I am successful at getting to some certain level, then I can feel happier or then I can rest or relax. But we know that that doesn't happen. Every time your brain has a success, your brain changes the goalpost of what success looks like which is why, you know, celebrities and, you know, the wealthiest people in the world are not necessarily the happiest. So what I really got fascinated by was what could we do with these students, first with the Harvard students, and then something we could import to the rest of the world, that we could actually help somebody tra literally train their brain to become default optimists and then reap the advantage of it. And now we're seeing schools in Iowa and Kentucky and Texas and New York and California, they're actually taking these habits and making it not only part of a curriculum for one class, making it part of the culture of their school. I mentioned this during my talk, but it, it, this is something I learned from one of the superintendents, Joel Peterson. You know, he said, when, when kids think about school, like when I think about schools, I normally as a researcher think about superintendents and teachers. And when kids think about schools, they think about the lunch staff, or they think about the librarian or the bus driver that got them to school. And those positive habits have to extend to that entire extended educational community so that we can really reap these benefits. Uh, along those lines, of course, we've, we've heard uh, about your, your book, The Orange Frog. 
How did you derive at that title, and and what does it mean? Oh, well, I I wrote it initially. It's a parable um, off of the Happiness Advantage. So the Happiness Advantage is a book that I wrote that takes all this research uh, and tries to lay out a case for why happiness leads to success based upon all this research. But of course, a lot of people aren't necessarily interested in the research studies, or they don't have time to read a whole book. So uh, I wrote a children's book. Since then, it's actually grown way beyond. Uh, just uh, uh, children, it, it, it's it's being used like a nationwide insurance and mattress firm and these uh, massive companies in, in hospitals. Um, but basically, it's about a frog that's green that has one orange spot and his name's Spark. And he doesn't like having this orange spot because it makes him different from all the other green frogs in these four ponds. But And the more positive actions he does, it turns out the more orange he gets, which is worse because it makes him more of a an outsider. But over the course of the parable, he starts to realize that being orange is not only advantageous, it turns out it's contagious as well. And he slowly starts to be able to shift the other ponds, the, the workaholic pond, the pleasure pond, the disengaged pond, tries to help them actually become more orange before the storm comes. And it, it's a story about showing how being positive is it's not something that just happens to you. It's something that you cultivate. But when you do so, you can have a ripple effect throughout an entire community. And it is the key to being able to overcome some of these larger challenges. You know, we oftentimes make the mistake that thinking, if I can just fix all these negatives within the educational system, then we can start talking about the positive. But what I love about AASA is that there's such a focus upon if we are able to raise up these leaders who are so positive within our communities, that's the way that these positive outliers can create an entire change and a ripple effect within our community. So I'm not surprised that we're seeing, you know, I mentioned Nationwide Insurance. One of the, the leaders there who we helped raise their revenue nearly 50% over the course of an 18-month period of time, he then decided to buy Orange Frog books for an entire school district in Iowa, one of the poorest county in Iowa, trying to get the, the effect that's happening in these companies to happen as early as possible, because the earlier we can get this happiness research in, the better. We're very pleased that uh, ASA is uh, working with the International Thought Leader Network to host Orange Frog workshops. So, Sean, what would you say to superintendents that what would they gain from participating in these wonderful workshops? I created just the parable for it, and we've been doing the research on the back side of it. But the more I do the research on what this workshop has been able to do, the more impressed I've become with it. The reason for it is that when you try to create change, unless you have a metaphor or narrative around which that change can actually take root, it's very difficult for cultural change to happen. We can get personal change, but to get the culture of a school or company to change, you really need to have some sort of language that people can grasp onto. And there's something that's fun, but also memorable about this orange frog language, like the characters in it. And over the course of the workshop, what happens is you start to see not only the research come alive, but you see these ideas come alive. But what the orange frog training is designed to do is to create organic change. So what I love, what we've seen both of the schools and the companies we've worked with, we've provided this fertile ground of ideas based on the research. And from there, we keep hearing these incredible stories and get these phenomenal videos or, or comments on Facebook or entire communities that are transforming how much we really realize that this could have an impact. I mean, the, the work that was done at, uh, at the Cardinal High School in Iowa with Joel Pedersen, they went uh, five years ago when they started implementing some of these positive interventions. They had an average ACT score of 17. Now they're at 21 five years later. And they have open enrollment. And for the first time in their history, people are sending their kids to that school from other counties 
because this is the place to be and the community just passed a $5.3 million bond. I think what this workshop does is it helps make this research come alive in a way that I think can transform our, our school systems and help empower the leaders who wanted something to rally around. Well, Sean, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And thank you so much for bringing happiness into the lives of all of us here at ASA and all of our superintendents and kids in our schools. Before I sign off, if you enjoy ASA Radio, let me also suggest that you check out Ed Chat Radio with Nancy Blair and Tom Whitby on BAM Radio Network and also available on demand. Check it out. You've been listening to WAASA Radio. I'm Dan Dominich. Thank you for listening. This program is produced by Accretive Media for the BAM Radio Network. Thanks for listening.